high and long and deep that every day there's more to your love that we can discover and find out about. And Lord, I just pray that this morning that we would be open to that love and that we would allow ourselves to be loved by you. So often we feel unworthy. So often we feel challenged. But Lord, allow that love to wash over us this morning. May we sense you. May we feel you as you draw us closer and closer to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I know I might be alienating some uh, demographic when I mention the word Facebook, um, but uh, I was looking through my Facebook feed the other day, and the thing about Facebook and uh, companies like Google, they use what you search for or the things that you click on to tailor-make advertising uh, for you. And as a consequence, on my newsfeed, I'm constantly getting snippets of other people's sermons, um, which I don't mind. That's kind of cool, actually. And there was one that I was looking at the other day, and it really got to me. And it was of this uh, preacher in America, how he said he went on Facebook, <laughs> and he wrote a question that he wanted an answer to. And it was, name an area in your life in which you need a breakthrough. What is an area in your life that you need a breakthrough? And by breakthrough, I mean for God to come and do a work in, for God to come and change. And he said, pretty much all of the responses were situational. Uh, my husband is a bit crazy at the moment. All women can, can respond to that one. Uh, my kids are driving me nuts. Uh, you know, I need, I need God to come do something in my finances. My, you know, I need employment in a different arena. They're all to do with God to do something in circumstances, in situations. And he said, not one person said, you know what, I'm selfish. And I need God to come and do a work in me. And I, I, it, it got to me. And I thought, wow, how often and how quick are we to think about and give advice to other people about situations or circumstances? And how rarely do we self-reflect and think, how am I going? Search me, O oh God, and test my thoughts and find if there's any offensive way within me. And so sometimes God in order to change our circumstances, first needs to change us. And so I came away from feeling a bit convicted and then I picked up a book that I was reading, Charles Spurgeon's Lectures to My Students. And it says, Take heed to yourselves, lest you should be void of that saving grace of God which you offer to others and be strangers to the effectual working of that gospel which you preach, and lest while you proclaim the necessity of a saviour to the world, 
your hearts should neglect him. Wow. (laughs) And so this morning, I want to talk about personal breakthrough. I want to talk about that God actually coming in and doing a work in us and to change our hearts. Because if we're honest, we all have issues. If we're honest. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, you've got issues. (laughs) Now, depending on who you're standing next to, some of you might be well aware of the issues that you're sitting next to. (laughs) And now, on the count of three, I want you to all look at me and say, Sam, you've got issues. Yeah. Thank... (laughs) Thank you for that and thank you for mentioning that. Um, It's actually making me want to do something about it now that you've made me aware of it. I want to look at a passage in uh, John's Gospel. John chapter 5, if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, it'll be on the, the screen. And it's a story of transformation of a man. So John chapter 5 and starting at verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, we're not sure which festival it was. It would have been Passover, Pentecost or the Feast of Tabernacles. But just as a side note, it's interesting that Jesus prioritised the worship of the Jewish people. He saw it as, as something to be involved in. That's just... Take that as you will. Something on church attendance, we'll preach on that later on. But um, he saw it important to participate in it. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five uh, covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. Now, it's interesting in society, isn't it, how we like to group ourselves around people who we identify with. Uh, we see this in, in schools. You know, the, the sporty kids will hang out with sporty kids. The science guys will hang out. You know, the arty kids will hang out with the arty kids. Too cool for school kids will hang out with the too cool for school kids. But it's the same also if we think about these conditions and these issues that we have in, in our hearts. We, if we're honest and we think about them and perhaps we're, unash- we're ashamed of them or we don't like the fact that we're this way, let's say we are prone to gossip. If we hang around people who only speak positively, who eulogise over one another, that's uh, from Tim's sermon, if you weren't here a few weeks back, check that one out online, who speak positively, then we're going to stick out like a sore thumb and it's going to make us aware of that condition even more. And so we find people who are like us to make ourselves feel better about ourselves that might justify our behaviour. And same if we're, say, cynical, it, it, you're going to going to be standing out if you're hanging around people who aren't. And so we find people 
who are like us to make ourselves feel better about ourselves and we, we normalise our dysfunction. And so here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralysed, the gossips, the cynical, the selfish, the prideful, the liars, the self-righteous, the judgmental, the over-anxious. How are we going? Has anyone, uh, has anyone still waiting for theirs? Put your hand up if you're still waiting for yours. The bitter, the greedy, the lazy, the doubtful. Oh, sorry, I apologise. I was reading my list. <laughs> Whew, it was getting a bit heated there, wasn't it? Uh, a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> and one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, I just turned 41 this week, so 38, 41, fairly similar number. That is a long time to be in this condition. A long time. And it's interesting that we're given a number of how long this man has been in this condition for because we can go through our life for many, many years and years pass and birthdays come and go and we haven't actually changed. We can go a lifetime without ever changing. In fact, it baffles me that we can come to church week after week after week with no intention or no expectation to leave changed by what we hear or what we experience. And so years pass and nothing ever changes. I want to declare this morning, perhaps this morning is time for a change. Perhaps this morning we break that cycle of leaving unchanged and we actually allow God to do something in our lives. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And he said, well, there's no hope for him. He's a bit of a lost cause. He's way past it. Oh, that's Jimmy over there. He's always been like that. He's never going to change. He's always been that way. Is that what he said? No, he said, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Interesting, interesting question. Not do you want to feel better? Not do you want to be more comfortable in your condition? See, we can come to church and we can feel better, but we can leave unchanged. We can be comfortable and never get well. Do you want to get well? 
seems like a strange question. Surely the answer is yes. Why wouldn't you want to get well? Perhaps this man might have thought, well, I am a lost hope and I've been here so long and nothing's changing. Perhaps I don't feel like there's any hope. And you might feel that way. Or perhaps he's been accustomed to his way of life and he's learnt to live with his dysfunction. You see, for this man to get well, there would be consequences for that. He would need to get a job. He would need to rely on other people's charity for his income. He would have to look after himself. He'd been this way for a long time. He'd have to learn a whole heap of new skills. Do you want to make that effort? Do you want to actually have to go through what that would mean for you? And see, I think Jesus asked this question because so often we are aware of our condition. We are aware of our dysfunction. But we learn to adapt to it. We learn to live a particular way that would enable us to live with that. And to illustrate this, I used to play golf. I say used to because that's what you did when you had lots of free time. Um, (laughs) To all you who aren't yet married with children, enjoy the time that you have. Um, and I, 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 didn't, I wasn't very good, and I used to enjoy playing with, with some mates, and, and it was fun. And I wasn't too bad, but um, after, I, I, I used to love playing golf, and after a while, something happened in my golf. And that was, I developed a chronic hook. Now, if you don't know what a hook is, a hook is where you hit the ball, and it starts sailing off straight, and then it dog legs and turns to the left. So a hook is where you hit it and it goes to the left. A slice is where you hit it and goes to the right. And for some reason, something in my swing caused the ball, when I hit it, to start off straight and then it would start going left. And I was very competitive, still am. And in order to get the ball as far as I wanted it to go, what I would do is if I wanted it to go that way, I'd turn like this. <laughs> <laughs> and I would swing and I'd hit it as hard as I can. It would start over the neighbouring fairway and the people would duck for cover, but then the ball would turn around and it would land smack bang in the middle of the fairway that I was trying to go down. Now, along came Sean, who's, uh, who was quite a professional golfer, and he was the second guitarist in our band, and we got together and he found out that I liked playing golf, so he took me out for a game, and he smacked the ball right down the middle, and then I get up to tee off and I do this. I said, stop, what are you doing? And I said, well, I've got this hook. And so in order to cater for the hook, 
I face this way so I can deal with this dysfunction in my swing. And he says, Don't, that's ridiculous. You've got to fix your swing. You've got to do the things in order to enable the ball to go straight. So he told me that I've got to look, lock my little fingers together and I've got to put the ball further on the front foot and I've got to swing up like this. And so we go around on that round and he teaches me how to hit the ball straight. But it was hard. I was so used to living with my hook and hitting the ball a particular way because I'd come accustomed to it and I'd learnt to adapt. And then comes the game with my friends again without Sean there and I try all the things that he said to do. And I kept topping the ball and hitting it this far. I was getting so frustrated. So what do I do? I revert back to this way because I wanted to win. <laughs> and it's the same with Jesus' question. Do you want to get well? Because it might require some work. It might require us to change the way we live. Do you want to get well? Sir, I'm not on it. <laughs> Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, to understand this guy's answer, we actually have to go back to verse 4, which actually isn't in your Bibles. You see, when John originally told this story, he just told what had happened and, and the response. And later on, when the, the Bible was being copied, one of the, the copiers thought, how are we going to understand this guy's response if we don't actually understand what, the, what happened at the pool? And so in your footnotes, it would say this, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters and the first into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. And so they're waiting for whether it's a geological phenomenon or whatever, the spring, to be bubbling up. When that happens, the first one in gets cured. And so that's why he says... I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. Now, the interesting thing is, religion says the first one in gets the prize. Religion says if you've got it all together, if you make it, if you strive, if you do the effort to get there first, then you're going to get the cure. Then you're going to find salvation. <clears throat> Jesus turns this on its head. And Jesus goes up to the one that would never, ever be first. This guy is an invalid. And there are crowds of people. There is always going to be someone who gets in there before him. And that's what grace is. 
Jesus comes up to this man who is always going to be last. And he says to him, I offer you wellness. And that's what grace is. And if Jesus' grace extended to this man who was going to be last, Jesus' grace extends to you in whatever situation and whatever condition you find yourself in. In fact, it was probably a good thing that this man couldn't get to the water because it meant that he was open up to the real solution for Jesus to actually come into his life. And perhaps we're trying and striving in so many ways to find solutions to our conditions. And all the time Jesus is there saying, do you want to get well? I have the power. I have the means. The other thing about this man's response that's interesting is that it's full of excuses. I have no one to help me. Someone else gets in ahead of me, before me. And so often, as a human being, we like to blame others for our circumstances. And I hold my hand up fully and squarely with this. My wife would uh, bear testimony to the fact that when she would often remind me of things I haven't done or things that I should do, or I would, the first thing I would do, wouldn't I, was turn it around and say, the reason I did this was because you did that. The reason I'm this way is because this happened to me. The reason I'm not having personal breakthrough in my life is because this stuff that's happened to me, this thing that someone said over me. I see it in my kids. One of my children will hit one of the other kids and I say, we don't hit in our family, that's not okay. What's the first thing they say? I only hit him because he stole my Lego or he knocked over my tower. If he didn't do that, I wouldn't have hit him. And I try to explain it and it doesn't get through. I'm not talking about their behaviour. I'm talking about you and your behaviour. And what you did is not okay. And in our lives, in order for Jesus to do something in us, perhaps we need to just own the fact that we're not okay, that we're wrong, and that no one else is to blame, and that Jesus is wanting to address our behaviour, our dysfunction, our condition. The other thing about this answer is that he says, well, as soon as someone else sort of gets out the way, If I can get to the pool, if I can get in, then I'll be made well. And that's another excuse that we do in our life. Oh, as soon as I'm married, perhaps, then I'll sort this stuff out. When I've got kids and I need to be responsible, yeah, then I'll I'll get through to actually doing something about this thing in my life. Problem with that is time goes on and, oh, as soon as this happens, oh, as soon as this happens, and as soon as this happens... 38 years later, we're still living with our condition because there's always a 
as soon as this is done. That's why it's important to deal with it now. And that's why Jesus comes to this man and says, do you want to get well? Not after all this has happened, but now. But one thing about the man's response is that it shows his willingness to change. I'm trying to get in. And that's the first thing that we need to realise if we are to have personal breakthrough in our lives, is that a willingness, a willingness for God to actually come and do something. Do you want to get well? If the answer is yes, then the second thing is to realise that it is Jesus, nothing else. That is the answer to your condition. See, the thing about the pool is it wasn't lasting. It says that people got cured, but if it had a lasting effect, if it was to actually work, then there wouldn't have been people there because the first person would have got healed and walked off and then the next person and the next person and then before you know it, everyone's healed. But the fact that there were multitudes of people there shows that obviously it was a temporary thing. And sometimes we look for ways to get well, look for ways to help our condition that perhaps are only temporary. And this is where faith comes in Jesus is the one that brings lasting change. Jesus is the one that can change our condition for the long haul. And it's only Jesus. We can look in all sorts of places and all sorts of pools of life, but if we're wanting lasting freedom, then we have to come to Jesus. And that's what this man does. And then... The third thing is the obedience factor. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Now the interesting thing about this passage is the man was actually cured before he walked. And in order for the man to live out his wellness, to actualise it, to know that it was true, was for him to be obedient to the words that Jesus said. See, he had two choices. He could have, when Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk, one choice would be to not get up. And if doing so, he would remain paralysed in his condition. Part of his cure was to be obedient to the word of God and to walk in what Jesus was telling him to do. And so it is with us. And I think, quite frankly, one of the reasons that we find ourselves constantly unchanged is the fact that we're quite simply disobedient. And we need to listen to the word of God over our lives and we need to take that in and we need to respond to it in obedience. And in that comes the change.
He says, get up. He says to us, get up. The time is now. Get up. Don't wait for the angel to come and stir up the waters. You might be waiting a long time. Get up. Do something. Get up. And he says, pick up your mat. Now, why does he say, pick up your mat? Why doesn't he just say, get up and walk? Pick up your mat. You see, what a mat represented for a disabled person or a person with physical conditions was it was a place of comfort. It was their home. It was what gave them their livelihood. And so in essence, Jesus is saying, not only get up, but pick up the thing that is your condition. In fact, the word mat could also be translated bed, but it can also be translated pallet, a pallet. Strange. Think about what a pallet is. A wooden pallet, if you get bricks delivered to your house, it'll come on a pallet because a pallet's job is to carry the weight, carry the burden and distribute it so that it can be carried. And so the mat represents the burden. It represents the trouble. It represents the condition. And so Jesus says, and the obedience to come is to get up and pick up the thing that is the condition and walk. No longer allow this to be the burden carrier, but walk in the freedom and the newness of life that comes with faith in Jesus. And I was reflecting on this. And I thought, I was thinking about my own life and things that haven't changed, (laughs) that should. And I thought, you know, what happens is we have an experience with Jesus, whether it be the first time we say yes to him or at a camp or something happens, and, and we, we are obedient and we, we take up this mat and we say, yep, no longer am I going to rely on this thing in my life to give me comfort. No longer am I going to allow this thing to carry the weight. And we, we start here and we go through many years and we travel the distance and we journey in our life and in our faith and then something happens. Trouble comes. Circumstances. We listen to the voice of the enemy as he accuses us and things get tough and we desire comfort and we desire familiarity and so we unroll it again And we find comfort and familiarity in in the very thing that we're trying to get away from. Sometimes 
we actually find comfort in the thing that we're trying to escape. Because we've carried it with us in order that we might bring it out again. And so in essence, when Jesus says, pick up your mat, what he's saying is pick it up and throw it as far away from you as you can so that it's no longer with you. So that when the hard times come, who do you turn to? It's no one but Jesus. I'm reminded of the passage in, in Hebrews 12 where the writer says, throw off the sin that so easily entangles and run the race with perseverance. I'm free. I'm able to run. I'm able to walk because I've thrown it off. I've picked up my mat. Now I'm able to walk. Joyce Meyer, in speaking of this passage, says, In essence, Jesus said to the man, Don't just lie there, do something. She continues, Self-pity is a major problem. I know because I've lived in self-pity for many years. So self-pity is where we re-roll the mat out, where we turn our stance again. It's affected me and my family. God finally told me that I could be pitiful or I could be powerful, but I couldn't do both. If I wanted to be powerful, I had to give up self-pity. Being sexually abused for approximately 15 years and growing up in a dysfunctional home left me lacking confidence and filled with shame. I wanted to have good things in my life, but I was stuck in emotional torment and despair. Like the man in John 5, Jesus did not give me pity either. Jesus was actually very firm with me and and applied a lot of tough love. But his refusal to let me wallow in self-pity was a turning point in my life. I am not in the pit any longer. Now I have a great life. If you will reject throw off and actively look to God and do what he instructs you to do, you can have a great life too. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And so Jesus says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Do you want lasting change? Not change that's temporary, not feeling good, not getting comfortable. But do you want to be made well? Then... Number one, if you are willing, look to Jesus. He is here. And just as the Holy Spirit pulled on my heartstrings when I looked through that 
Facebook feed. Maybe the Lord's pulling on your heartstring this morning. Maybe he's making you aware of that little thing in your life, that behaviour trait, that addiction, that behaviour, that thing in your heart that's been there a long time and you're already filling your head with excuses. Oh, maybe when this happens. What if Jesus is saying, now's the time, get up. Do something. Now. Be obedient to what I'm saying to you. Listen to the voice that's in your heart. Listen to the Spirit as he's saying, get up. I want you to change. I'm the only one that can change you from the inside out. No other pool, no other system, no other way out will ever satisfy. Perhaps this morning Jesus is saying, get up. Get up. As the, as the worship team play, invite the the prayer team to come out the front and I'll be out the front as well and I just really encourage you if the Lord's been speaking to you this morning about the smallest thing or the biggest thing don't walk out the door unchanged allow him to do his work in you allow him to break through in your heart So as we sing this song and as we stand, as we get up, perhaps the Lord's asking you to get up even further and do something. So I'm going to invite the prayer team down. And if in this song you feel like now is the time, here is the place, change can happen. I no longer want to carry this burden anymore. Jesus, take it and give me the freedom and the life I'm looking for. Let's stand and sing.